Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Uphill Athlete Podcast, where we strive to educate and empower you to be your mountain best. Today, I'm psyched to be doing a coaches roundtable with two of my favorite coaches and also just rock star trail runners and trail coaches, among many other mountain sports. So today we have Alexa Hasman and Brian Pacenti on with us. They are also uh, two, well, you actually have your whole trail running training group coach team on with this call. So thanks for both being on, you two. Thanks for having us. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. So this is going to be a really fun episode. I think that we had a preview of how varied our answers are. So we do question and answer sessions for the trail running training group. And Brian and I were on one of the calls and we happened to get a lot of questions about um, race nutrition and what what do you do with aid stations and all of that. And Brian and I realized that we pretty much had the complete opposite uh, ideas and not ideas, but like complete opposite strategies of how we approach uh, fueling and nutrition in a race. So we thought it would be really fun to make a podcast with this as the major topic. So thinking about uh, how we fuel, how we deal with aid stations while we're actually in a race. And the nice thing is, is all of us have experience from, you know, sub ultra distance. So 20, 25 Ks all the way up to 240 plus miles. So we have quite the range of um, experience with distances. So we'll start with Brian and then Alexa, you can follow up. How do you go about planning your nutrition for a race? Like when you sit down, you come up with your plan. What does that look like? You know, that's a great question. And it's really um, event specific. Um, if I if I think about it, I... I usually go to the website, uh, the race site, and see what products they're sponsored by, what products they're going to offer at their tables, um, at their aid stations, um, as well as um, what real food they're going to um, offer at their aid tables as well. Um, so is it going to be ramen and chicken broth, or is it going to be potatoes and soup? Um, just just knowing what's out there, and hopefully their website is clear enough and, and, uh, and accurate enough to give us a good representation of what is going to be offered. So that's the start of my nutrition plan. Um, I do use aid stations um, and I eat quite a bit at them and, and, and refuel um, uh, hydration wise at them as well. Um, but between the aid stations, I usually use um, sports specific products and, um, and I carry enough between the aid stations. I usually uh, create drop bags for those aid stations so I could resupply uh to, for, to fill those middle gaps. Nice. What about you, Alexa? So I, um, it's funny because you said that you're completely opposite. And I would say that I'm very the opposite of that, uh, what Brian said. I plan out and I plan as if the aid station, I just presume that they're not going to have what I need or want, right? So I go into it with my stuff, plan my drop bags based off of that if I use drop bags or my crew. Uh, and then carry what I need to on me. And I make sure that I have all that. And then, 
you know, like with anything, especially when you get into the longer distances, what you planned eventually changes, right? You no longer want to eat your your spring energy anymore. You don't want to eat waffles anymore. And so that's when I start to rely on the aid stations because I start to switch it up and go to, okay, well, now I might want to check out, do you have fresh pancakes? Do you have broth? And that's when I sort of switch over to that. Awesome. Yeah, I will say that when I'm planning it out, I'm looking really specifically at how long I am um, in between aid stations, what I have like a really specific, I eat something every 40 minutes, generally it's a spring energy. And so I'm sitting there and I'm calculating like what I think hours wise it's going to take me in between aid stations where I can maybe refuel or if I um, need to resupply. So I'll sometimes be carrying like 12, 13, 14 spring energies on me because that's what I need to get through that section. And so a lot of my calculations is just literally like within my notebook, which I left in the airport the other day, which I'm really sad about. Um, anyone in the Boston airport finds a notebook, <laughs> I'd love it back. Um, but yeah, I just really sit down with a pen and paper and a spreadsheet and just try to guesstimate how long it's going to take. And then I throw in like a couple extra because you never know what can happen. Uh, but that's kind of goes into my, um, planning for nutrition. So Brian, you touched on it, but what are some of the key parts that you consider when you're making this plan and how do you factor in weather, terrain, altitude, other elements? Because there's a big difference between running 50 K on like a towpath in Maryland versus running 50 K in well, like Ure, for example. Yeah, I think you hit on a lot of the key points or they've been touched already. I look at the distance between aid stations, uh, the terrain I'm going to cover, um, how fast I think I'll be moving at that point in the event. Um, as far as weather and altitude goes, um, you know, we I obviously keep an eye on it prior to the event, um, but we can never really know day of what it's going to be like or what it's going to do on um, any particular part of any particular course, uh, most of the times. Um, so yeah, I pad it just like you, you had mentioned, Alyssa, I pad it with a little bit of extra, um, extra calories just to be safe in case I'm moving slow in case something happens. And, um, I really think that's just about it. Um, and just factoring in all those components and, and then, and then padding that. I think for me, like one of the things I do consider with weather is, well, obviously utilizing hot stuff at aid stations when it's cold, but also having stuff in my pack that doesn't get too cold, that it is hard to eat. And I've come across that situation before, like Stroop waffles can get really hard and difficult to eat when they're cold. And so that's something to be aware of. And then on the, on the flip side, things that melt, right? If it's too hot, you don't want things in your pack that are going to melt and then you cannot eat them. So that's what I consider when I'm thinking about um, weather conditions. Yeah, I would just add on to that, that altitude, I've heard, can you can burn upwards of 20% more calories if you are at a higher altitude. So you have to consider that a racing fueling strategy that might work for you at sea level or just above sea level, you're probably going to need more calories when you are at altitude because 
you are burning more um, up there. And it's also same thing when it comes to cold weather. Um, that can really take a take a chunk out of your calorie usage um, or increase it rather. And so what may work for a, I guess, like relatively temperate, again, like sea level type race, as the weather, the terrain, the altitude becomes more extreme, you're probably going to need more fueling. Also, chances are your aid stations are going to be farther apart. And so it's good to be really taking into consideration um, all of those factors going into it. Yeah, absolutely. And then remembering to continue drinking when it's cold too, because I think we often think, okay, we got to drink, drink, drink when it's hot. And when it's cold, we can sort of be deterred from drinking a ton. And it's important to stay on top of hydration, no matter what the temperature is. Yeah, that's a great, great reminder on that. Um, So I think that we've kind of answered relying on aid stations, but what are some of your go-to like you come into the aid station and you go oh yeah that's one that always hits hard with me that works for me yeah for me it's pancakes when they're making those hot fresh pancakes at the aid station like yeah that's that's killer um obviously broth with noodles or like potatoes and stuff like that potato chips are absolutely key absolutely key and no matter what i have to have my lays potato chips i'm very particular like i don't pringles are not gonna do it pringles don't cut it um uh of course if they've been sitting at an aid station especially if it's like a dewy race you want to be careful about the potato chips because you reach into that bowl and you're like oh never mind those are it's just mush um but heck at that point you might not care right (laughs) i uh i tend to fly more by the seat of my pants i um I kind of like scope out the thing. I guess if I walk in, um, always watermelon and salt. I'm always, that's like the first thing. That's like the appetizer. I feel like I get in there and I'm like eating watermelon and salt and I'm looking around to see what else I could devour inside of this aid station. Um, I'll do the grilled cheese. I'll do the quesadilla. Um, I'm not a big ramen or potato fan uh, for whatever reason. I think it's just years of burnout on it, but I do use the broth. Um, so I use broth and then actually in your raid this past um couple weekends ago, I, um, I created chicken, dino chicken nuggets and I had them put them in chicken broth. So it was like a chicken soup of sorts. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> the, d- the casing didn't like come off in the soup. It did. It was did breading it and it was, care. you know, it, it was fine. It was good. It was, it was, breading I mean, it was too. pretty instant. They didn't make it and then let it sit around for a while. They, they dunked them and I ate them like right out of there. So they were, they were moist and they weren't dry. The nuggets weren't dried out because they were using them on a flat top griddle. Really what it comes down to is like toddler style food, right? Like my little kids would love that. Like dinos swimming and like seaweed essentially. Oh yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. It's funny how the more and more you do these, the more you realize you're really just reverting back to childhood. Maybe that's all of us are just massive kids at heart. And that's what we're trying to get back to. I would say, I think that I'm not a huge aid station user, um, which becomes more problematic in 200 milers. It kind of bit me at Moab in some ways. Uh, I do. I'll dabble with some ramen. Um, that seems to sit decently well, just like that nice warm broth. But I think one of the best things I ever convinced someone to make, I was 
deep in Tour de Jean, and we were at this like crazy mountain pass, and I was having trouble eating, and <laughs> they have hot tea with tons of sugar in, which is amazing. And I somehow convinced them to make me an Arnold Palmer and just squeeze like a ton of lemons into this hot tea with sugar. And it was the best thing ever. And I was like, convinced myself that I introduced Italians to what Arnold Palmer's were and that they were forever going to remember that. Definitely aren't. But it was game changing of just like this warm, salty, delicious, like slightly sour drink. Uh, and that was probably one of the my like crowning moments of aid station witchcraftery we'll say um yeah that sounds pretty good yeah hey good tip for bigfoot and coming up yeah i like to do like the hot um hot water with like ginger drops in it oh. for like if i'm feeling nauseous at night when it's cold so it's like warming but it's also like a little bit stomach soothing so that sounds sort of similar to that, but yours sounds really good too. Yeah. I think the biggest thing is just how much sugar <laughs> ends up being in there. <laughs> Makes it <laughs> so much better. <laughs> so as we get into like 50K, 100K, 100 mile, 200 miler, what are some of the fueling considerations that you are making as you're getting into these like let's start with a shorter distance so let's say like 50k to 100k and then getting into 100 mile and 200 mile yeah so i guess for me when i think about like a 50k or anything below like 50 miles i think about stuff that's really quick right so you just want to think about you know the spring energy is a great example something that's quick and easy you can shoot it in you can hike while you're eating it, stuff like that. Whereas when you start to get into the longer stuff, you can take a little bit more time to like eat a burrito or, you know, your pancakes and waffles and quesadillas and that sort of stuff. So that's how I sort of look at the difference in distances as you start to get longer, just allowing yourself sort of bigger opportunities to eat. I'd say the shorter distances um, potentially have the... Um the idea that you're going to be out there for a, a shorter duration, uh, less than 10 hours, hopefully, depending on the course and the terrain and where that course is located. Um, and so I can survive on um, processed food for uh, 10 hours, um, a sports-specific processed food, uh, quick, um, right to the bloodstream, and keep pushing for the 8 to 10 hours of a 50K or a 100 or a 50-miler, as an example. Um, as the distance grows, I tend to eat a lot more. Um, and, and up until 240, I, I was eating like double cheeseburgers and taking a burrito to go just to keep the calories in because because um, you need it because it, you're out there for three days or better. Um, and, and so you really got to just be mindful of uh, the duration that you plan on being on a, a course and um, what those fuel considerations might be. Yeah, I think that one of the biggest takeaways as you get longer, as both of you said, is that you can't really survive just off of the sports food. Like, it's just not a sustainable uh, fueling source. You have to start getting into real food and also just expanding beyond carbohydrates because you're going to need to, like, at some point, your body's going to start trying to repair muscle. And so you need protein, you need fat to keep up with the 
the demands of what you're doing. So carbs, great for 50K, like exactly as Alexa said, quick and fast. Um, but as you're getting to longer stuff, I so envy Brian that you can eat a double cheeseburger. That's truly an impressive skill. It's probably why you're a rock star at 200 Wilders. Thanks. Thanks, I think. <laughs> Put on your resume. <laughs> uh, so what are your ride or die, especially say you're helping a new client who maybe, let's say is running their first 100 miler. What do you give them or help them with as like your go-to nutrition tips? I think I, I make suggestions on how to find what works best for them. I don't think I um, offer out what works best for me. Um, I think for myself, I've gone through the process of uh, trying all the sports products in the running stores and REI. I've, I've bought uh, four packs of everything that's been on the shelf. And I've, I've taken a couple days to try them and see how they sit in my stomach when I do workouts, if I'm doing an interval workout or a longer workout. And I've gone through that process. So I feel like I've done the work and I know what works best for me. So I offer up that advice to anyone else trying to figure out what works for them. Buy the products on the shelf, use them in training, see which ones settle in your stomach the best, which ones work, which ones don't, um, and find out why. What's in the ingredients that, what's in the products that don't work? Um, what's the specific ingredient in there that that doesn't make you, doesn't sit right with you? And, and just look for that in the future so that you don't uh, recreate that problem. And then if you know what works, uh, stick with it. Um, definitely don't change the plan, um, in the, in the race strategy, um, unless there's a catastrophic failure, which we'll talk about in a little bit, but, um, but otherwise stick to the plan and, and, um, know that it's been tried and true, uh, cause you've done the work. Yeah. And for me, I think it's pretty similar. I think of it as long runs are our time to practice. So I'll give them a list of like, this is what I really like, but these are also good suggestions. And, you know, everybody's so depend on what they like and flavors that they like and textures, especially is an important thing to consider. Some people are very texture dependent on things. So I think it's important to take those long runs to play around with it and figure out what works for, for your taste and for your, your digestion. So yeah, I'll give them like a general list of suggestions, but then let them sort of experiment. Yeah, same. And I think one of the things I always try to emphasize with my clients is that there's nothing wrong with them. If things aren't working just right, that is part of the process. And so many of us are always attempting and trying and tinkering to figure out even ones who've been in the game for years and years and years. And also um, not necessarily changing anything, but if you find like, hey, this thing has worked for me for like three years and then all of a sudden it doesn't work, like don't try to keep holding on to it. Let it go. Like it doesn't like things change. I mean, I've had races where the only like potatoes and salt were the best thing ever. And then the next race, I made like trays of potatoes to bring to the race and couldn't touch them. And so it's, it's annoying. And that's why I always say to clients, like, don't be discouraged. Like we, none of us have truly, truly figured it out. It's always experimenting. It's always trying your best to troubleshoot, um, which I think leads us to kind of the next part of this which is troubleshooting 
And the first thing that I think so many trail runners deal with is nausea. So how do the two of you, and we'll start with Alexa, then go to Brian, manage your nausea when it almost kind of inevitably comes up? Yeah, I think, you know, I've been lucky that I haven't had too many bouts of really bad nausea, which is good. Um, But when I do, I make sure to start to focus on ginger. That's really my go-to for it. Um, Like I said, like the ginger drops, ginger chews. um, Coke really helps uh, make me feel a lot better, like just like a little cup of Coke and um, just sort of slowing down a little bit till I can get it under control has been my experience when I have come across it. Then I expect to really hit that hard and really experience that in a few weeks here. So I'll come back to you on that. <laughs> I, um, I'm, I've, I've been fortunate enough. I don't deal with uh, nausea that often, um, but just most recently I did. Um, and so how I combated it just most recently um, was with uh, carbonation in, in all sorts of different forms, just like Alexa had um, mentioned. I'll do the Coke. I'll do the ginger ale. Um, I was eating like the noon tabs um, and they got like a bubbly carbonate. I don't know if it's carbonation, but it's a uh, fizzy of sorts. Um, and, and they all kind of settled my stomach. I was able to, uh, to release a lot of air from my um, stomach um, just by burping and, and just kind of letting it out. And I think the carbonation helps with that. Um, that's where my nausea stemmed from this particular um, bout with it. Um and, and slowing down helped as well, or just keeping the, the pace at a more manageable level instead of uh, being up there at the top, the top end of uh, zone two or three or something. Yeah, I mean, first of all, I don't think I'm going to be friends with either of you since both of you don't seem to really deal with nausea. And that's quite literally been the story of my ultra running career is how to manage nausea, because I spent upwards of 20, 30 hours being super nauseated and oh yeah i had a i had a race last year in the alps where i it took me like 19 or 20 hours to finish and i think i was nauseous for all of it so that was not fun um i've done it moab i was nauseous for like 50 miles uh yeah so it's pretty much been like my i guess curse uh luckily i've started to figure it out a little bit more um but for me, go-tos, um, I actually sometimes will take an anti-nausea, which is uh, called Zofran. Um, it's legal. I've checked many, many times. It's actually for pregnant women. Um, it's like an anti-nausea. You can have it prescribed by your doctor if that's something you're interested in. I know other ultra runners use it. But again, you know, take it. Like I made sure that I tried it before I got into race. Um, but that seems to help me combat it some. I also always bring ginger chews. I always bring Tums, um, even stuff like Imodium um, and Gasex can be really helpful. We're getting really deep into the unsexy stuff. But yeah, as both of you said too, like carbonation can help a lot with the ginger ale um, or the Coke. But yeah, that the other thing too is I always say that part of the reason why I think I struggle with nausea is because I go out like an asshole and try to just, as much as I try not to, just hammer right off the bat. And that is 
a really easy way to get yourself straight into a very nauseous place. So if you can slow down and not be like me, uh, trying to get better at that, then you probably will be smart like Brian and Alexa and not get as much nausea. So <laughs> listen to them. Yeah, I would say that the the few times that I have gotten nauseous, it's because of too much sugar, like too much of the sweet stuff. And so like really changing how I'm fueling at that point too makes a difference. So like instead of continuing with like chewy, sugary things and gels, I'll switch it up and go to something a little bit more savory. And I feel like mine was uh, a direct correlation to being at altitude for just a duration. Um, and I think that affects a lot of people, um, even myself, who, who um, I do live at altitude already. Um, but being over 11,000 plus feet um, for an extended period of time, um, I think, played into mine, uh, particularly this weekend or this past weekend. Yeah. Yeah, I think that altitude, it's really hard not to have some kind of nausea. I think I've told Brian this, but uh, when I raced URA, which is really like pretty much all 7,500 feet to almost 14,000. Um, it's quite high. And I think there was like six or seven of us that came through an aid station and every single one projectile vomited and then continued on their way. It was just like the aid station of, of vomiting. Um, so I think like it's unfortunately just a, a reality often of trying to do your best at altitude. Um, but I think before we dive into what do you do when everything goes wrong, I actually wanted to touch on, because Alexa brought this up, what do you all do for your electrolyte strategy? Um, and do you use liquid calories as a means of getting calories in? Yeah, this actually came up the other day in our trail running Q&A too. And it was funny because Again, Brian and I have completely opposite opinions on it. So I I do use liquid, liquid calories. I do the scratch high carb mix. And what I use is I, use, I don't count it towards my overall calories. I'll just use it as sort of like a top off method um, because no matter what, I know that I won't be getting enough calories. So I, I just don't count it towards that. And it's just sort of like bonus calories is how I consider it. Um, so that's what I do. And then of course, at some point I switch to sort of half and half. I'll do one like bottle of scratch high carb mix and one of just pure water again, just because you can get a little burnt out on the taste in, in your hydration. Um, so yeah, that's what I do. So you do both bottles to start with the high carb. So first I start with just high carb and then eventually I switch to just half and half. Wow. That's impressive. Thank you. Brian. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I couldn't do both. I always have to have one thing of water because my, I'm just like dying of sweet. And also my mouth is just like, I hate this. Well, the, and that's the thing that I like about the scratch high carb mix and why I moved away from other hydration brands is because it's sort of tart. So it makes me want to drink it a little bit more. and It doesn't have that sweet undertone to it. Yeah, because like when I did have like the sweeter hydration things, I couldn't, I like physically couldn't do it for very long. Yeah. And I'm more like you, Alexa, or Alyssa, I'm sorry. Um, I, I go one to one. I go a, a bladder or a water bottle of water 
just straight H2O, and then um, a bottle of um, electrolyte mix. And I'm not too... Um, I'm not too picky on it. Usually I don't take calories in liquid form at all. Um, it's just, uh, it's just that actually will irritate my stomach for me. Um, if I were to have some GI issues, it would become from liquid calories. Um, it just doesn't settle the proper way. So, so I need to eat a double cheeseburger at the aid station and, and to get my calories. And I would also say that, um, nice. that in some races, it, um, even in the, just my previous uh, past experience that it, it came to almost nip me in the bud. It was um, hotter than it um, was expected to be or, or normally is um, in your aid this uh, past uh, event. And um, and I had to go to the product that was offered at the aid station, which was a scratch product. I'm not sure um, if it was the high carb or, or some other um, product, but it was scratch nonetheless. And I hadn't used it before. Um, so I was kind of running that risk. So I did a a bottle of half scratch and half water just to dilute it down, just to kind of see how it settled and kind of worked my way into it. I was unfortunately committed to having to do something or I was going to be in a, a, a worse spot than I was already in. Um, and so I, I, I worked through the process. I did the half bottle, half water, half um, electrolyte mix. Then I did a three quarter electrolyte with a quarter water. And then I was just filling full bottles up with the electrolyte mix. And it, it seemed to settle fine for me. Um, but it was a risk I, that I really wasn't comfortable with initially. I was like, this is, could be ugly. This could go bad because it, it was just unseasonably hot compared to what it, it had been in past years. So I was unprepared for that. Yeah, it's always tough when you have to make that on the fly decision of like, this is it. And we, I really hope that this doesn't bite me hard. Um, do either of you use uh, salt pills or salt tabs at all? No, I've had, I've had really poor experiences with salt pills they make they make me not feel great so do you actually mind expanding upon that a little bit because sure that's a question salt pills are definitely something that's that's like i consider slightly controversial not 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 like ooh controversial but <laughs> just what was that experience and what do you think happened yeah. And like, I, I want to say it was the salt pills, but I mean, it could have been so many different things. Cause when you're in the middle of a race, you know, there's a lot of factors, but I took the salt pills and my stomach just started cramping up like crazy. Um, I wouldn't say it was like nausea per se, but was just like, just cramping and like, just really felt terrible. It was hard to run through. Um, yeah, just not a good experience. So I, and I sort of thought of it as like sort of my stomach took like a salt bomb, right? And so I think it was just overloaded on just like a sudden drop of salt into it. I do not use salt. I do not use salt pills. Um, I, I haven't had a negative experience. Um, I just uh, prefer to get salt on my watermelon as opposed to a salt pill. Yeah, so I actually am, I've kind of been digging more into them because uh, if you are filtering water, you can't really put any kind of electrolyte into your water. So if you're doing like an FKT or um, you're doing a longer route, just as training, uh, it's much more challenging to get electrolytes, especially during the summer. And so salt pills can be a good alternative. But I, I think they were like very much an old school thing and then have kind of like dipped down a little bit and are starting to come back somewhat. Uh, but I had always had 
a similar, I haven't had a terrible experience with salt pills, but I've met other people with terrible experiences with salt pills. And so they seem really easy to mess up. And that if you take too much, um, it can be really quite detrimental because your body is just like trying to process it and um, being oversalted uh, sounds really quite as miserable as being undersalted. Um, so I think if you are taking salt pills, and again, like I just had a conversation with someone about them yesterday, that's why I'm interested in them and kind of been looking at them, is you have to make sure that you drink a lot of water with them. If you are just taking the salt pill and then just running on your way, then your body is not going to be able to process it well. So you have to be drinking quite a lot of fluids if you are taking that salt pill and also practice it in your training and read the, the label on the back and see what they recommend and start on the low end and then increase as you see fit. Don't just like start dumping salt pills in because I think that's where people get into trouble. Yeah. And I think another alternative to that is those salt chews that you can do. And that way you can sort of just bite off a little piece of it or like hold it in your mouth a little bit longer and let it dissolve into it. Instead of like the pills, I think are, are just so concentrated and hit your stomach all at once. Um, I think that's where people probably run into problems with them. But yeah, they do work really well for some people. And that's great. Yeah. And I will add as a word of caution that as much as you might be tempted to think that just bringing a bag of salt with you is going to be enough electrolytes. <laughs> I have done it. I made a huge mistake in a huge FKT was like, I'll just bring this bag of salt. Cause I've heard that like people just stick their finger in and lick it. Don't do it. Don't do it. That's how you pee blood. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm telling you in my 30 years of, of life, I have made a lot of really, dumb mistakes <laughs> no it was a good it was a good idea so anyway that's what happened that leads us to <laughs> i was trying to save weight <laughs> sure yeah um anyway you, you can't be the first of, that have tried that so so i'm sure i'm sure somebody else no, is, no. somebody else is somewhere. listening and laughing as well <laughs> yeah i read it somewhere so i got it from someone and it's just come i'm not that smart just go of that great plan on my own. Um, anyway, so <laughs> this leads us to a, a great question. Uh, I'm excited to hear this. What do you do? And I think Brian's touched on this um, with his URA experience. What do you do when everything goes wrong? How do you refocus? And what do you focus on to get yourself back on track? And if you want to use like a specific story or just kind of general, either one. We'll have Alexa, go first. Oh, gosh. Okay. Or Brian. <laughs> Your eyes got really big. So maybe, Brian, if you have another story from... Yeah, I want to hear your URA story. It wasn't... Um, I just didn't have enough electrolyte on me, the URA story is, that I didn't have enough electrolyte on me for the heat conditions. Um, I was expecting it to be much cooler up high. Um, and even at 13,000 feet, 12,000 feet, at 2 in the morning, I was still wearing a T-shirt only. Um, so it was unseasonably Whoa. warm. Yeah. It was actually scary. Like it was, it just felt odd. Like I should have a jacket on, I should have some arm warmers or something on. Um, and I was still in a t-shirt. Um, of course, you know, my body was, uh, dealing with its own, um, uh, heat issues, heat and, uh, 
cooling uh, issues. Um, but it, but everyone else around me was wearing a t-shirt as well. So I wasn't the oddball out and it was just unseasonably warm. So I had to take on a more electrolytes and that meant trying something new that the aid station provided because I didn't have enough on me or with me for that weekend. Um, that's the, that's the end of the URA story, but what did I, what do I do when everything goes wrong? Um, Gosh, I don't know if I have a great answer. Um, I, I think I try to bring it back to basics, um, like to, to the founding pieces. I'll go back to um, what I brought for my sports nutrition. Um, I'll start uh, trying to just take in water um, in, a, in a not large quantities of water, but start with just bringing it back to the basics. I know that um, the sports specific food that I brought with me and water are the two fundamental pieces that I, I'll need all weekend. And so I'll just go back to that and see if I could start to incorporate other pieces to it. Broth is always a go-to. Um, and I try to focus on um, what is working, even if everything else isn't working. Like, uh, you know, I'm ahead of the cutoff. I, you know, I've, I've come this far. I've done all the training to get here. I've, I've, um, you know, all the things that are going for me instead of trying to focus on the negative, I guess. Um, and this is the worst race ever. I'm going to DNF. I'm not going to make it all those negative talk. I, I try to get that out of my head and go with the positives. Like I'm, I'm still ahead of the cutoffs. Like they haven't told me to stop moving forward yet. So I got, I got that going for me. <laughs> um, I think, th- yeah, I better. Are- I think that's about it really. I, I, I kind of just in the grinder, I can, I can just grind in that space for a while and, and be okay with it or have, have in the past done that. I think our resident mental training expert would uh, applaud you for that, uh, that mindset. That's, that's a huge tip or like not tip, but just like, that's a really good way to frame it. And I think will be helpful to a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. I think, well, first, are you talking about like when everything goes wrong in general or with nutrition? Well, I feel like they kind of go hand in hand because most of the time, like I would say when things start to really go wrong, a lot of it is generally based on like nutrition deficiencies, but take it as you will. We'll open it up to interpretation. I was going to say like usually my it's not a nutrition issue for me when things go wrong. Um, it's usually like something just completely unexpected, you know, like, um, an injury pops up or something like that. But, um, and what I do is sort of like what Brian said, I try to reframe the situation. Obviously I don't push through it if it's going to be dangerous or anything like that, but I try and learn like, okay, is this something that I can work through? How can I fix it? Like say if it's a foot issue, can I fix this issue? Can I keep moving and giving myself that time to sit with it and breathe through it? And if it's like a situation where, um, you know, I, you're upset about something, giving yourself a set amount of time to be upset about that. And then being like, and before the race starts, I always plan that out with my crew. Like, Hey, if I'm upset about this, give me five minutes to be upset. And then you got to get on with it. Right. Um, because I think it is important to be able to have those emotions and express them and then be able to move on instead of trying to necessarily push through it when you're upset. Um, so that, um, for nutrition and hydration, if something has gone wrong in the past, it's just that I've been underprepared. Uh, 
So I haven't brought enough food or water with me. And so I've ran out a little bit earlier than I expected. And so I've just learned from those mistakes of being like, all right, I need to bring like two extra gels just in case. And I need to make sure I have an extra soft flask. And that's just a process of like learning through experience and, and knowing that sometimes sections will take an extensively longer time than you expect because things pop up or trails are more technical than you think or you know, you hit a patch of snow and it slows you down and there's, you just got to plan for that. That's great. Yeah. I would say, I mean, I can think of, um, I think I've mentioned this, but in Moab at mile 58 station Oasis, I just, Brian knows that's just a really long exposed section of, of trail where you don't have eight or you have one water station. And then I think you have a 22 mile section and you're playing the game of like fast and light or be safe. And I played the fast and light game and I lost <laughs> and I rolled into mile 50 something and literally was laying on the ground convulsing in uh, uh, muscle cramps and spasms and was super nauseous in the the med, the medic just looked at me and was like, this is not great. And I was like, it's going to be fine. Like, this isn't great, but it's so early. Like you have time. And I think that's the biggest thing to remember when things go wrong is like, try to like acknowledge your feelings and then immediately, like not immediately, but when you're ready, know that you have time to, to come out of it. And like, I love the expression. I've said it before. It was like, um, it almost always never gets worse. And so at your low moment, there's a, it could get worse, but, it's, but there's a chance it couldn't. And so like, I would say the lowest point of my Moab 240 was at mile 50. And the rest of the race, especially from like 120 on went really well. And if I had given myself the chance to just like lay on the ground for five minutes, get myself back together, rehydrate, et cetera, I wouldn't have gotten the chance of the, to have like an, a really fun experience and be out there and a chance for the race to turn around. And so I think just similar of like Brian and Alexa's point is just reframing things, giving yourself the time to acknowledge like, yeah, this is crappy, but here we are and here's what we're going to do about it. And I was saying also to a newer runner that as you gain experience, you get more tools in your tool toolbox. So I'm sure that each of us, when we get into a situation where things start to go wrong, we have like five, 10, 20 different ways to fix it. Like, oh, I'm cold. I've got a buff to put on. I've got a hat to put on. I've got gloves to put on. I can pull out my hand warmers. Like I can move a little bit faster. Like you just start learning ways to help and problem solve yourself rather than just being like, oh, here's the end. Like, this is what I was waiting for. I, I wasn't sure I could finish it. And here's like the thing that is going to just derail me. Um, so I think just making sure you have a lot of options and a lot of resources mentally, physically, et cetera, to pull yourself out of it. I think there's some, um, I think the question is worded weird. It, the question is, uh, what do we do when everything goes wrong? Um, and I think you have to plan for that um, as opposed to, uh, I mean, I, maybe the question isn't worded weird, but um, my, my Thanks, thought Brian. is, <laughs> <laughs> my thought, what I'm thinking is that 
um, it's going to go wrong is, is more is more of the case. You're going to have those low moments. You're going to have those um, low b- bottoms. You're going to have those bottoms. And um, the lows get lower and the highs get higher the longer the, that you're out on a course um, in 200 plus miles or so. Um, and they they get tougher to get through, um, but you have to have a plan for how to do that. Um, I heard uh, it was funny because I was driving to URA for the race and I was catching up on my podcast list because I had a lot of time on the windshield and I was listening to um, the John Kelly episode. I want to say it was um, and longevity at the top. It was uh, a few weeks ago, but I was just catching up at the end of it. And something that resonated um, in the end of that episode was like, like I'm choosing to be at the event. I'm choosing to be in this space. Like it's going to hurt and suffering is part. I guess it maybe suffering isn't the best word, but, um, but feeling uncomfortable, feeling uncomfortable, uncomfortable. is part of the process yeah. and it's not going to be all rainbows and unicorns. Um, and so just knowing that. So while I was in URA in the middle of the night, slogging through these mountains, you know, I thought of that, like, Oh, I asked for this. This is what I signed up for. This is what I was looking for to get out of this, you know, and that always kind of helps brighten the light at the end of the tunnel. Like, Oh, it's not that bad. It's, you know, I, I paid to do this. Like it wasn't like uh, this is a forced exercise or something along those lines. Yeah. I think that's a fantastic point. And I always think of it is that if I stop early, then I don't get to experience the rest of the event or you know if you have pacers lined up or a crew you're really excited to see like you don't get the rest of that event and get to experience that with them so obviously there are times where pulling the plug is the correct decision injury etc but you've curated this fantastic experience and i'm always like when i've had to stop or had things um lead me in that direction. Like, I'm just sad that I missed out on the rest of it. I'm like, no, I came here to do the whole thing. Like I came here to run with my friends to get to see porcupine rim or whatever. And, and it's like those moments that are super low or when things are going sideways um, are just kind of the test to get you to have the whole experience. And it's so cool when you look back and you're like, oh yeah, I did that. And like, I can do it again now. Did you really see Porcupine Rim though? Wasn't it like 3 a.m.? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it was, yeah, 4 a.m. Oh man, that was brutal though. It really was. Oh, it was so much longer than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> uh, all right. Any last words or takeaways you want to leave our listeners with? I joke a lot, uh, and I I say this often as a joke, but there's some truth to it. I always um, say that I'm trying to get my money's worth out of the aid stations, um, and and what I really mean is like eat a lot and eat often, because um, once you're behind, it's so hard to catch up, and you'll never really once you're in that deficit, you and you're still moving forward, you're never really going to catch up. Um, so maybe my example is obviously a, um, a bit uh, funny and in, in, in a play on um, getting your money's worth out of the event, but um, but really eat a lot, um, eat often, um, eat stomach as much as you can, practice that in training, and uh, and I think you should be successful um, with some of those tips. Love it. 
Yeah. And along those lines, like Brian just said, practice, like make sure that you're not going into the event, not knowing what your nutrition plan is going to be. Practice it, refine it, practice it again, refine it some more and um, get to the point where you feel comfortable with it. And it will change. It will absolutely change, but at least go into it with a plan. Love it. And I would just say, uh, feel your feelings, but overall, the more positive and grateful of a mindset that you can bring to the race, to the situation, the easier it's going to be when it gets hard. Because it's going to get hard. That's what you paid for. As the Hurt logo says, we wouldn't want it to be easy. So thank you both. Uh, This has been super fun, as always. And good luck, Brian, you have a race cup or you have Leadville coming up. Alexa, you have Bigfoot coming up. So two major races. Um, you two are awesome resources. What about you? What do you have coming up? So go for it, Brian. Oh, I have a uh, dragon. Maybe. Dragon's back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> In just a, just a few weeks, like a month. So thank you everyone for listening to the Uphill Athlete Podcast. If you could rate, review, or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, That really helps us to spread um, education and safety in the mountains. It's not just one, but a community. We are Uphill Athlete.